Welcome to the HT Cambridge podcast. For more information, see our website, htcambridge.org.uk. Good morning. Um, so our reading today is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 20 to 26, and it can be found on page 1080 of your pew Bibles. That's John 12, 20 to 26. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came up to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning. Morning. My name is Paul Harcourt. Um, As Ellie said earlier, I'm lead a church in northeast London, and I'm very involved with lots of new wine stuff. And it's, it's fantastic to be back. Um, I haven't actually been inside the building on a Sunday uh, since I left um, an un- as being an undergraduate, which was a long time ago. And it's really weird to actually see you like this, because I've forever in this church was always seeing things from up there, um, which is because I was always slightly late. Uh, you have probably you know, just come today because you wanted a nice view of the band, didn't you? So... That's why you end up there. But um, this place was very significant for me in a time when I was um, thinking about what my life was, was for. I'd come to university with a church background, but never having really read the Bible. Hadn't really understood what Jesus had done for me. Didn't really comprehend um, how amazing the gospel was. And it was through sharing with other students, just simple Bible studies, that God just blew my mind by giving me a big picture of what life is all about. And you're probably, many of you at that time of transition, you're thinking about, you know, what am I going to do with my life? You know, for some people, obviously, it's a very obvious transition. You're moving on from here to something else, maybe to a new role, uh, to a new place. But for all of us, the question is, what are we going to do with our lives? And the thing we've got today is that your life can make a difference. You, know, you, you, you are already significant simply because of who you are. You're significant because you're made in the image and likeness of God, because God has invested so much in you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're significant. But your life is also to impact others. Your life in partnership with God is meant to change the world. We're, we're to live for something beyond ourselves. And um, sorting that out is one of the, the key issues of life. Because the, there's so many siren voices around us that tell us this is the way to live, or these are the things to go for, or these are the things that matter. And so often when we look at them, they don't line up with the message Jesus gives us. A lot of things that, that look as though they offer us life actually are not life-giving. A lot of things that look as though they're worthwhile are actually passing away. There's a lot of things that you know, we could do that would bring us a claim that actually God, God doesn't celebrate in quite the same way. 
And conversely, there are loads of things that God calls us to which actually are lasting, significant, enriching, fulfilling. So this today is all about the life that Jesus wants to give us. Because he he came to bring us into the fullness of life. The implication of that, by the way, is that until and unless we receive what Jesus came to do, we're not really alive. He said, I came in order that you might have life. You don't get it until you receive it. But that life that he gives is going to be the most fulfilling thing that you could possibly ever sign up for. Now, when I was um, thinking about change, uh, a Roman Catholic friend of mine um, gave me a little story that I thought was really helpful. Because he told me about this um, little cul-de-sac where there were a bunch of Catholics living together. And they were all very committed to the church and to the traditions that they'd been raised in. Um, So committed that they actually kept the Friday fast. I don't know if you know this, but... Traditionally, a lot of Roman Catholics will not um, have meat on Fridays. That's why if you ever go to a Christian conference center, it's always fish on a Friday. Uh, and they, they reinforced this over each other. You know, they kept that together. But the only problem was they had another friend who lived on the street with them. And uh, this man was Jewish. And so every Friday when they'd be tucking into their fish, the smell of barbecue would kind of like waft across from his garden. Absolute torture for them. So they got together and they said, right, we've got to bring him into the faith. It's probably not the best reason, but it was the one they came up with. So, so they said, okay, we're going to witness to him. We're going to tell him about you know, the tradition of the church. And over years, they worked with him. And there came this great and amazing celebration, the day when they took him to the church. And in a profound ceremony, the priest received him into the Catholic church. And in the most holy moments, the priest would splash him with the holy water as he intoned, born a Jew, raised a Jew, now a Catholic. And they all went away so excited because next Friday they're tucking into their fish and again the smell of barbecue comes wafting across their gardens. They think, oh no, we've forgotten, you know, he's forgotten what he signed up for. So they say, you know, we better go around there quickly and remind him of what it is to, you know, to share our tradition. So they they ran around and as they got there they they could see him and uh, he's there in front of his barbecue, he's got some amazing steaks laid out, it smells incredible. And he's splashing water on them. And they can hear him intoning, born a cow, raised a cow, now a fish. (laughs) And my friend kind of told that story against himself because he said, you know, so often what we do is we focus on the externals. And we think that you can change somebody or something simply by an external force, by something that we could do. But real change comes from the inside. Real change comes from the inside. Jesus tells us that we have to be changed, and Christianity is an inside-out job. It's unique amongst world religions. All the world religions say, this is what you need to do. All the world philosophies say, this is the way you need to think. Christianity says, I need to do something for you. God says, I want to change you from the inside out, and all I want you to do is to receive it, to cooperate, and to let it be expressed. Now, there's... There's something about that in this reading that we had from John 12, because in this reading, change is in the air. It's an exciting time. There's a great crowd of people. Um, There's a festival. It's a a once-a-year thing, but this one's special, because this is a festival at which Jesus has entered in in triumph. Just a few days earlier, there had been crowds cheering him, because this Jesus is fulfilling all the hopes which that festival spoke of. And what happens is um, that some of those who've come from afar, 
are just hearing about Jesus, want to get to know him better. There were some Greeks who came up to worship at the festival, and they want to come and see Jesus. Now, well, of course they want to come and see Jesus, because Jesus is fulfilling the religion that they've been following. Jesus is bringing the reality that that religion was just pointing to. Jesus has been healing the sick. He has been forgiving people their sins. He has been reincorporating people into the community who've been marginalized. He's giving dignity to people that weren't receiving dignity. He's even been casting out demons and raising the dead. People want to see Jesus. So they come and they, they try and kind of like go through the middlemen, you know, working through the, the apostles. So sort of say, you know, it'd be great if we could go and get an intro. Can you get us some face time with Jesus? And uh, the disciples think, well, this is a good opportunity. So they, they bring the Greeks to Jesus. And Jesus just does it all wrong. Jesus puts them off. Jesus tries to send them away. Jesus starts talking about death. Jesus starts talking about losing your life. And, and you can imagine, if, if Jesus had a PR agent, he's probably tearing his hair out at this moment. It's like, Jesus, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. You remember that crowd that welcomed you in? Well, this is like the bigger part of that crowd that didn't know you before, but now want to be part of it as well. This thing, Jesus, is snowballing. This is when we go global. Do you not remember, you know, light of the world? That was a great soundbite, Lord. This is how it happens. Not just light of Jerusalem, light of Israel. This is light of the world. These people live in other countries. This is where you go international. Don't put them off. But Jesus says, tell you the truth, unless you fall to the ground and die. And he's going, no. <laughs> but Jesus is not interested in crowds. Well, actually, he is. Jesus is interested in crowds. When, when, when we talk about the love of Jesus, we always talk about the crowds that he loved, the compassion that he had, because he has love for everybody. But when we talk about discipleship, Jesus doesn't talk about crowds. He talks about individuals. He talks about the one that he sees, the one up the tree, you know, the one in the crowd that touched him. It, for Jesus, discipleship is a very individual thing. It's not about crowds. Jesus is not interested in fans. What he wants is followers. And that is very against the spirit of the world. You know, the spirit of the age in which we live is consumerism. And, and that's because we, we live in an amazing age full of incredible choice. You know, there are so many things that we have power over. We, we're fortunate to live in a country where we have freedoms. We're so, in a country where we have resources. Some of you at this stage of your life, you are aware of opportunity. There are many things that you could perhaps do. Having choice is wonderful. Probably in the age in which we live, we have too much choice, even to the extent that it's a bit disabling. It wasn't that long ago, generation or two, that if you wanted shampoo, you went to the corner store and you bought shampoo because there was one shampoo. And now you go to the supermarket and there's a shampoo aisle. My wife's American. When we go to you know, the big American stores, there are shampoo aisles, several of them. And you can get every type of shampoo you want. You, know, you can get a shampoo for your hair or for your beard. You can get shampoo for every color of hair. Whatever you've done to your hair over the years, you can get it. If you're losing your hair or if you've lost your hair. You, know, you can get shampoos with all sorts of ingredients added. Most fruits, most vegetables, most vitamins, most minerals. You can get it with honey. You can get it with beer. I was in Germany recently. They had beer in their shampoo. They have beer in almost everything, actually, so that wasn't that remarkable. But you can get anything you like. 
And the reason the marketers do that, because they're very clever people, is because choice gives us the illusion of being special. Now, you are special, but not in the way they think. Choice plays into your ego and tells you that you're at the center of the world, so you can have it the way that's unique for you. So why would you use one fast food joint over another one? Well, because if you go to this one, you can have it your way. Or why would you choose this particular brand of makeup? Because you're worth it. You know, there's, there's so many things that, that are pitched to us all the time that basically say, you know, you're special, you're unique, you should have it your way. The way that they sell things is they really pander to this half-truth, the customer is king. So you do have choice, but actually you're not at the center of the universe. See, the customer is king is a great way of selling products. It's a terrible way of living your life. Because Jesus says, if you put yourself at the center and live your life that way, you'll just lose it. The customer's not king. Jesus is king. And you find your life when you give your life to him. Your life will make a difference insofar as it is rooted and grounded in his. Because he's the one who changed the world. And he's the one who's still changing the world through his people. Choices put us at the center, but Jesus calls us to one choice that puts him at the center. And it's the choice of discipleship. Now, discipleship is a really humbling thing because you, as a disciple, you need to submit yourself to learn and to be trained by somebody else. You're not just a disciple. You're a disciple of Jesus. And he gets to, to tell you how to see the world. He gets to challenge you about your motivations and your values. He, he gets to speak into your life. And you have to let him teach you. What were we saying about crowds a minute ago? No idea where they're going. But Jesus humbles us. See, real change actually comes when we allow him to become king. And that change of being a disciple is something that every single person needs to embrace if their life is really going to make a difference. You know, there was a religious man who came to Jesus by night. Difficult thing for him to do. You know, the embarrassment of being a religious person who teaches others, who's highly educated within his uh, community, who's respected, who, who has it all together. He's the sort of one who should be teaching others. It's very hard to admit you don't know something when you know lots of things. But he comes to Jesus by night because he's embarrassed, but he sees that Jesus has something he hasn't got. He sees, perhaps, that Jesus has what his religion was pointing towards. And Jesus looks at him and says, you must be born again. There's a change that needs to happen in your life, and it starts from the inside out, and it's going to be like the wind. You're not going to be able to control it, see it, or predict it, but you will feel its power. You must be born again. Jesus says, you must follow. You must learn. And you must be like this. And, and when he says that to us, you, you'll notice that so often Jesus uses images that are to do um, not with quantity, but with quality. So yeah, his love is broad and he loves everybody, everybody, but his call is individual. And when he talks about discipleship, Jesus so often chooses um, 
Images of smallness. He says, you're going to be like salt. Now, unless you're a terrible chef like me, you'll know that you don't use that much. What you do is you use a little bit of salty salt. It's the quality of the salt, not the quantity. Jesus uses images of the kingdom of God being like yeast. You know, you don't need much, but if you've got some active stuff, you put it in there, it will spread through the whole thing. He uses images of the mustard seed. You know, it's tiny, but it grows. So what he's interested in is where you stand with him. What he's interested in is the quality of the life that's inside you. And it's an inside-out job. So, so these Greeks, they come to Jesus, and, and, and Jesus, at one level, starts to talk in the way that they might ex- expect. He says that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And you think, great, yeah, glory. We've just had the triumphal entry. We're on to glory. That makes a lot of sense. But when John's Gospel talks about glory, it doesn't mean triumph in the way that we would understand it. When John's Gospel talks about glory, it means the cross. See, in John's Gospel, the, the moment that Jesus is enthroned is the moment that he's crucified. Glory is when he fulfills the plan laid out by his Father, where he's obedient even to death, where he lives the selfless life and the sinless offering that makes us free. So Jesus is talking here about his death. And he says, I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. And it's pretty clear, isn't it, that he's talking about himself. And then he is the seed. He's saying, you know, you have your own ideas about how this world's going to be changed. You know, let's get a mass movement started. Let's all march down the street and chant together. But he's saying it's not going to work like that. It's going to be completely contrary to the sorts of things that you've expected or been told. There's going to be glory, but it's actually going to look like ignominy. There's going to be triumph, but it's going to look like defeat. It's going to be about laying your life down that God can do something greater in you and through you. That's the real hope of change. But if, if you do fall to the ground and die, you will produce many seeds. And I love that, because if the seed is his own life, then what Jesus is talking about is the multiplication of his own life. See, normally when Jesus talks about the cross, he's, he's talking about his, his death as a saving death. You know, his death as the death by which all that stands between us and a relationship with God is removed. So that we can come back into that restored relationship, we can begin to live as we were meant to live, we can be changed from the inside out, because he can come and live within us. And that's true. Normally when Jesus does talk about his death, he talks about his death as a saving death. Here, he talks about his death as a multiplying of his life. Because if he, the seed, falls to the ground and dies, he will produce many seeds. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who has Jesus' life within them. Hence the name, I think. What's a Christian? A little Christ. The Christ is the anointed one. Who are we? We're ones with little anointings. We've got him in us. That's our treasure. That's our hope for the future. That's that's our glory, to carry him. See, changing the world doesn't come out of what you do. It comes out of who you are. It's his life in us. And Jesus says that this is going to be the most fulfilling and fruitful life that we could possibly ever live. 
Because in the same way, if we die to ourselves and live for others, we will produce a multiplication of life. And he says that if you love your life, you'll lose it. You know, if you, if you choose to value your life by all the external measures, by you know, how much you can accumulate or how much you can achieve or how much influence you can have, if you value yourself by those externals, Jesus says you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, if, he says, by comparison you hate your life, you refuse to use the world's standards, but you use God's, then you'll keep it. If you choose to live for love, not for self, if you choose to live for, for others, if you choose to align yourself with the heart of God and live for those things, if you put Jesus first and keep putting him first, then you'll truly live. And then right at the end, he, he says, and I never really understood this, but he says, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be, and then my father will honor the one who serves me. You know, I struggled with that for a long time because I, I thought it doesn't really make sense. It, it should be the other way around. I think Jesus, with these people standing in front of him, would basically say, if you want to follow me, you need to serve me. That would make sense, wouldn't it? But what he actually says is the opposite. Whoever serves me must follow me. And I had one of those light bulb moments where I thought, you know, I think I know why he said that now. Because so often I have my own list of things that I'm going to do for God. You know, I've got the ways in which I'm going to change the world or the ways in which, uh, you know, my faith is going to be so strong that, you know, other people are going to catch it. And so often, even when we're trying to do good things, we're not doing God's things. And we're doing good things, but we're actually doing them essentially out of our own strength or for our own fulfillment. You know, Jesus says it's not just about deciding that you're going to go and do some good things and going and doing them. You remember he says earlier that um, there will be some on the last day who say, Lord, Lord, did we not in your name cast out demons? And he'll say, get away from me, I never knew you. It's not about doing good things. Jesus says, if you want to serve me, you have to follow me. See, see, being a Christian is not just about learning from Jesus as a disciple, but it's also listening to Jesus in an intimate relationship. So easy for us to decide what we're going to do with our lives, how we're going to make a difference, how we're going to take the things that we've been given and use them. And it's not bad, but it's just a fraction of a degree off. What Jesus is saying is, listen to me. You know, the people I know who have the closest relationship with God, the ones who you, just, you love to be in their presence because when you're in their presence, they're like Jesus. They're so often the people who just have the simplest faith they hear from him, they obediently follow him. You know, so often discipleship doesn't look like become a missionary to China. Although if you're called to be a missionary to China, it does look like that. Um, but, you know, my, I always think it was all the big things. But actually, discipleship, it's all about walk across the room to that person who's on her own. You know, don't pass that guy who's begging. Sit down and have a cup of tea with him. It's, it's when he says, you know, you've got two of those, you can give one up. It's, it's when he says, you know, I, I want you to do something that nobody else is going to see, nobody else is going to know, it's not going to make you look good, it's not going to bring you, you know, attention or favor, or, I just want you to do it. It's the things he asks us to do. That's what it is to be a Christian. 
to walk closely with him, to listen for his voice, and to be obedient. And the truth is that if you're faithful in the little things, then he'll give you the bigger ones. I've got a, um, an amazing woman in our congregation. Um, she's far too young to have done all the things that she's done. She's one of, one of those. You know, she's got four kids. She's built a successful law practice. She's got a stable marriage. Um, she's very good looking. Basically, all the other women hate her. Um, she's sort of a superwoman. Uh, she's lovely. She's absolutely lovely. And she was sort of saying, you know, I, don't, I need more challenge. I don't know what to do next. And um, this little thing plopped into her head about what about going to politics? And she thought, oh, I've never really, never really had any interest in politics particularly. Um, but if this, is, if this is you, God, then all right, make it happen. Um, and the very next day, somebody said, hey, would you, would you consider being a candidate for our party in the, you know, the GLA elections? She said, oh, well, all right, I don't really want to do that. But if it's you, God, then make it happen. So she filled the form out over lunchtime. Most people spend weeks you know, thinking about how to fill the form out. She dashed it off, sent it in. They came back and said, we'd love you to be a candidate. She stood, she didn't get elected, but she did really, really well. Two other mainstream parties said, we'd love you to be a candidate for us. And she said, I'm not really sure. And she went before the Lord and she said, God, if this is you, if this is you, make it happen. Basically, everything she'd done in her life, she'd driven for, she'd, she'd peddled really hard to achieve. And I, I met with her yesterday and she said, you know, I realize at the moment I'm just freewheeling down the hill. I'm not peddling at all. All I'm trying to do is put myself in the center of what God wants and be obedient. And he, she said, I haven't made any big decisions yet. I, I'm moving faster than I've ever moved in my life. And I feel closer to God. And things are happening that I have worked for for years in some parts of my life that are just coming into my lives as blessings. And I thought, that's what it's meant to be like. Her story hasn't finished yet. I, you know, that's really for her the beginning of this season she's coming into, not the end. But I think she's learned something really significant about how to live. It's to be a disciple. To let Jesus be at the center. Not to live as a consumer, but to learn from him, to listen to him, to look to him as you go through life. And then see what he will do with you. And he says, if you live like that, you will find your life. It will be the most fulfilling life you can ever have. I made some decisions when I was an undergraduate here that I'm incredibly grateful I made. It's been an adventure. It's been a wild ride. I could have done all sorts of things. You know, I, and I could have done some things that would have perhaps come out better as others might have seen from the outside. But I wouldn't trade where I am for anything. And I know that, you know, discipleship for me looks like that tomorrow as well. Just saying to him again, whatever next, Lord, you know, whatever you want me to do. And, and it's got to be the little things that position us for the bigger things. So if you're in a season of transition, if you're unsure, and, and you feel today, I just want to come before you again and give you my life, then that would be the absolute right response to make. Some of you might need particular wisdom and there'll be a team after the service who pray with you. But I'd like to pray for us all now. So, would you stand?
Let's just open ourselves to God. Because Jesus says in his word what he says to us today. When we encounter his word, we encounter him. When we encounter him, we should never go away unchanged. And in his word, he says, if you want to serve me, then you have to follow me. So Lord, in your presence, in this moment, we lay down our own thoughts, we resubmit our own dreams and desires. If they're from you, give them back to us. If they need to be changed, change them. We want to follow you. We want to listen. So I pray, Lord, that you would open our ears. I pray that in the week and the months to come, I pray that your voice would be clear, powerful, insistent. I pray that you'd help us to walk closely with you. We know that opportunity, power, position, influence, all these things, they're good things. But apart from you, they're worth nothing. So we lay down our right to be consumers and we take the position of disciples. And we ask that you would be glorified in and through our lives. Now just a moment for you to listen to God. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anything specific that you're speaking to people about, underlining for them, make it clear now. And if for you there is something that comes up, then you just say, yes, yes, Lord. Have your way. I yield myself back to you again. In you is the fullness of life. Amen.